0: of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Judges, the Old Testament book of Judges, and we find our way now to chapter number nine, Old Testament book of Judges and chapter number nine. We're marching through and we're finishing up. We're on the downhill slide. We are almost finished as we're going through this period of the judges. And we've already gone through the encouraging victories that we saw in the book of Joshua. That they by faith as they took land by faith they went and saw God work miracle after miracle. But somewhere down the line, they stopped looking at God and they started looking at themselves and other things. And because of that started a cycle where people continue to to go against God. And the period of judges is a horrible, horrible period within the history of Israel. It is a period where there was no king in that time, but every man did what was right in his own eyes And so constantly there was, as the people turned their back on God, God would send a people to oppress them. After a while of being oppressed, the children of Israel would finally look up to God, cry out to God for a deliverer. God would send a deliverer. Then they would have rest for a small amount of time. After that rest, once again, they would turn their back on God. And this vicious cycle continued to repeat over and over again. And over and over again. Now as we look at the period of judges. I want to remind you that people don't change. That people do the same thing even still. Yes pastor I know I need to be in church. I'm going to make an agreement to be in church. And they'll show up for a meeting or two. And then they're gone again. And then something will happen. And they say you know what I need to be in church. And they're in church for a couple services. And they go again. Maybe you do that with your own Bible reading. All right, God, I'm going to read my Bible. And I read my Bible for a while, and then it kind of drops off, and something happens. And now, oh, I've got to read my Bible again. And then it drops off. And, you know, people don't change Meaning that the character of people, that we still have our own issues. It would just be easier just to stay looking at God and avoid a lot of the things that are self induced within our own lives that God has to do to get our own attention. As we hit Judges chapter number nine, we are on an intermediate period in between Judges. So, Gideon has now passed, and in Judges chapter 9, as Gideon has passed, we are now introduced not to a judge, but to a dictator that rises up in his own power, in his own strength, outside of God's calling, and the horrible events that occur when it's not a foreign power that comes, but an internal power that tries to rule the people instead of God. Notice with me in Judges chapter number nine. Judges chapter nine and verse number one. Judges nine and verse number one, the Bible says this, and Abimelech, the son of Jerubel went to Shechem, "...to his mother's brethren, and communed with them, and all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it be better for you, either, that all the sons of jerubbabel which are three score and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am of your bone and of your flesh." And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem all these words and their hearts were inclined to follow Abimelech for they said he is our brother and they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Orphra, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jeroboam, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone. Notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, Together and all the house of Milo, and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gizram, and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth. On a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherein by me they honor God and man, to go promote over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit to go to be promoted over the trees? Then the trees then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, In if in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if thou have done truly and sincerely in that you have made Abimelech king, and if ye dwelt well in Jerubabal and his house to have him done according to "...to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you, and have ventured his life far, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech over the son son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother." If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbabel and his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech, and devour the men of Shechem, and the house of Milo. And let fire come out of the men of Shechem, and from the house of Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away, and fled, and went to Berear. ...and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother... When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dwelt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubbabel might come, and their blood might be laid upon Abimelech their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided them in the killing of his brethren. And if you wouldn't mind to fast forward with me, for the sake of time we're not going to read all of these verses at this moment but notice with me now in verse number 56 judges chapter 9 in verse number 56 notice the word of god thus rendered the wickedness thus god rendered the wickedness of abimelech which he did unto his father in slaying his 70 brethren that all the men of All the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Judges chapter number 9? Judges chapter 9 in verse number 56. God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. And with the Lord's help, we're going to study this as God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. We're going to study who is Abimelech, what did he do, and what happens during this time, and see that God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. Let's pray together, if you don't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give grace. And mercy and wisdom to us. Lord you did say that if we, any man ask wisdom. He can ask of you. And that you would give it to him liberally. I'm asking that you would give us wisdom as we open this passage. And that you would make it clear. Help us to be able to discern what's going on. And be able to apply it to our own lives. And see that you're a God who's consistent in dealing with man. And that you're a God who hates all sin. Help us as we study Abimelech's life. That we could be warned within our own lives about living in the flesh and depending on ourself. I'm asking again, make this clear. For myself, I recognize I need you. So God, the best I know how, I surrender myself once again to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. And that you would once again get your own work through your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Abimelech is a strange character that we find in the book of Judges. Abimelech would be a great picture, a great study of fleshly ambition. A fleshly ambition. All of the rest of the judges, God called and God placed in that position. These men look at Gideon. Gideon was not looking to be judge. He was happy to go hide somewhere else. It was God that placed him in that position. We can see that phrase that God called, that God appeared. We can see the idea that the spirit came upon uh, several of these judges. We can see that the idea of a judge, even though they may have the moral characters flaws, they may have some failings in their life. They may have this and that. They may not have been accepted. The one thing is that God is the one who put him in that position. Abimelech is a study of a man who was not God called, but had fleshly ambition, and he acted upon it from the flesh, and he also received the rewards of the flesh within his own body. Now, as we examine this, the first thing I'd like to show you is Abimelech's rise to power. Abimelech's rise to power. We start off and we're actually introduced to Abimelech in Judges chapter number 8. In Judges chapter number 8, we are introduced just a quick little statement. It's talking about Gideon, and it's talking about uh, Gideon's family, verse number 30, Judges 8. Verse 30, and Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name was Abimelech. So Gideon had 70 sons scattered over here, and then in the one town of Shechem, he had another son. So this is 71. This is the outcast, this is the one that's different of Abimelech. Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is actually a son of Gideon. Gideon dies, and Abimelech goes to his mother's family, which is in Shechem. You remember Shechem. We've talked about Shechem before. Shechem is a city in a valley in between two mountains. You remember the two mountains? Mount Ebal and Mount Gizram? The mounts of cursing and blessing? The mounts where Joshua had everyone line up. And he had half the tribes on one side and half the tribes on the other side. And on Mount Ebal on the rocky face, he wrote the word of God. And inside of this valley is Shechem. And Abimelech goes to Shechem. Even though the word of God is there, everyone's kind of ignored what it says. It's just become something you kind of ignore and just don't even look at anymore. And he goes to his family and a mother's family in Shechem. Notice with me in Judges chapter nine, verse one. And Abimelech the son of Jerubbabel went to Shechem under his unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, "Speak, I pray you, in the ears of the men of Shechem, whether it be better for you." Either that all the sons of Jerubbabel, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am of your bone and your flesh. So Abimelech says, All right, guys, who would you rather be in charge of you? Seventy people. Of of Gideon's lineage, do you want Gideon's sons really to rule over you? Now, remember, Gideon had already said, "I'm not going to rule over you, or my family is not going to rule over you." He pretty much had said that already, and so we already assume that Gideon's sons have kept that promise and that they are not ruling. But what what Abimelech is doing is he's trying to gain control, and he says, "Hey, look, we live in a time of chaos." What's better, to have a council of 70 people trying to rule over you? Or to have someone that you know. Someone that you could talk to. Someone that's directly responsible. Give me your power. Give me charge. I'll take care of you. Remember, we're family. I'll look out for family. You see, he's legally, in his mind, talked himself into power. He's talked himself to be... The dictator. He didn't fight any wars or anything. He just he asked them to vote, to choose, to make him in charge. And so they do. They said, "Well, sure. It's better to have one person, have everything streamlined, Uh, someone to tell us what to do." Sure. Verse number three. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of the men of Shechem. All these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said he is our brother. And they gave them three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith. Which is basically a temple to a false god. By the way, they dug it up. It's still there. It's a huge temple. But basically, they went and took from its uh, finance department. They took this money and they gave it to Abimelech and said, here you go. Here, we're going to finance your army. You go ahead and start off. And so with this money, Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. Remember the word vain means empty. And light carries the idea that that, uh, it's not something serious. That what happened is he bought himself a bunch of yes men. He bought him some hirelings. Basically, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Is this a good idea? Yes, boss. What do you think about this? Whatever you want. They were not wise counselors. They were people who were going to do whatever he said. And he surrounded himself with people who was always going to agree with him, who was going to back him up no matter how evil he got. After all, the golden rule is, is whoever has the gold makes the rules. He hired these people to follow him and do whatever he told him to do. So what he does is he goes up to Oripha and he takes his 70 brothers and he kills them. He kills all 70 of Gideon's children. They line him up and they execute each one. Except for the baby, Jotham. Jotham goes and he escapes. And he escapes this plague. But literally, this is such a big deal. That, that Abimelech, being so evil. And to knock out any competition. He didn't want any challenge to his rule. Went and killed his own brother's Just to make sure that he was in charge. He murdered 70, 69 other people to make himself in charge. So he takes power. He becomes in charge. He begins to start to rule. And so we see Abimelech's rise to power. The next thing we see is Jotham's warning. Jotham's warning. Now remember, Jotham is the only one of Gideon's children, of Abimelech's brothers, that escaped. And so he escapes, and why Abimelech is is taking care of killing the rest of the other brothers, what happens is that Jotham comes, he climbs Mount Gizram, and shouts down to the city of Shechem, and gives them a warning in a story form. Notice with me in verse number 7. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gizram, and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. He says, listen to me. This is important. Do you want God's favor or do you not want God's favor? Listen. And he tells a story. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, "Reign over us. Now, as he begins to tell this story... He's talking about these trees that are known throughout the world here. The trees in Lebanon, the, the cedars of Lebanon, are huge cedar trees. Imagine in your mind the redwood forest in California. These huge trees. A gigantic sequoia trees, these trees so big that you couldn't wrap your arms around them. And so these are trees that are famous, that they would use this for some of the greatest lumbering um, projects that was done. Solomon's Temple is built from these. So these aren't just small little scraggly trees. These are huge cedar trees that are just enormous And so can you imagine these majestic, beautiful cedar trees in this story going down and saying, we need someone to rule over us. By the way, they didn't have any rule need to rule over them. They had their place. They were already majestic. Why did they need someone to rule over them? Verse number nine, but the olive trees said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man to be promoted over the trees? So these big trees in this story goes to the olive tree. Will you rule over us? Will you tell us what to do? Will you command us? Will you boss us around? Will you take care of us? And the olive tree says, no, I have my place. My place is to have the oil, to have these olives. I have my place, I have my role. I don't need to leave my role to go do something that's not God's will to do. Verse number 10. And the tree said to the fig tree, come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit to go be promoted over the trees? So here's the fig tree that's growing one of the staple fruits, this sweet fruit that they had in the Holy Land. And the fig tree says, I have my job. I grow this fruit. You want me to stop doing what I'm designed to do to go rule over you? No. Each people has their own place, has their own will of God, has their own thing to do. The olive tree had its own thing to do. The fig tree had its own thing to do. Notice as it goes on. <coughs> and... uh Verse 12, and the trees said to the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, why should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man to be promoted over the trees? So now they go, they started with. The, the next biggest tree, the olive tree, and the olive tree said no. They went to the fig tree, and the fig tree says, we have our own thing to do. They go to the vines, and the vine says, no, we grow grapes. We grow grape juice. Uh, we are useful. We have our place. We don't need to leave what we're designed to do, what we're created to do, to go rule over you. We don't need to do that. Now, verse number 14, Then the tree said unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me to be king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let a fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So finally, the trees, these big, majestic trees, imagine in your mind that are so high, you can't even see the tops. that go down to the sagebrush. To the tumbleweed and say, will you boss over us? Will you rule over us? Well, the tumbleweed says, sure. The tumbleweed is the very bottom of the barrel. It's the thing that rolls around when the wind blows it. It just tumbles. That's all it does is tumble. And can you imagine these majestic, beautiful trees to say, we want the bramble. We want the tumbleweeds to rule over us. Well, the bramble says, sure, I want that position. That's not what the bramble, bramble was made to rule around. Not to be bigger than the trees and to guard the trees and to protect the trees. That wasn't the bramble's job. It wasn't what it was designed to do. But the bramble said, sure, I'll rule over you. You hide in my shadow. And if not, guess what? Fire's going to come and burn you down. Ha, ha, ha. Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it? He's giving here a parable saying, why do you need someone to rule over you? God has designed you in a special way. God, you don't need a rule over you. Look straight to God. Why do you need to pick even the poorest, the, the worst thing here to be boss over you? Now he applies this parable. Notice with me in verse number 16. Now, therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely that you have made Abimelech king, and if you dwelt well with Jerubabal in his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, now he comes up and says, All right, let's, let's just brass tacks. If you think that you've done right, and you've made Abimelech in charge of you, and you haven't done anything wrong, and you treated Gideon and his family correctly, fine, good on you. But... If you haven't, guess what? There's going to be consequences. Notice as it picks it up in verse number 19. If you then had dwelt truly and sincerely with Jerubbel and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. Basically, if you've done well, if you did treat Gideon's house well, then fine, you rejoice in Abimelech. This is God's will. Nothing's going to happen to you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. Basically, he says, guess what? What's going to happen? Your alliance with Abimelech, it's going to crumble and you're going to destroy each other. He says, if you did not honor God, if you didn't treat Gideon correctly, if you're doing this out of your own flesh and doing things out of order... Then you got consequences. And Jotham ran away. You'd probably run away too. And he, and he uh, fled, to, fled and went to Beer. And dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Now we have Jotham's warning. We have Abimelech's rise to power. And then Jotham gives a warning. Now we see the fall of Abimelech. Abimelech rules as a king, a minor king, for three years. And after three years, what happens is that God, in verse number 23, And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dwelt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jeroboam may be come, and their blood may be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. If you don't mind, may I switch to storytelling mode here? Then what happens is that all of a sudden the men of Shechem said, we don't really like Abimelech anymore. I know we chose him, but you know, he's not doing what we want him to do. We can't control him. I don't really think he likes us no more. Why should he be in charge? Why shouldn't I be in charge? And so one of the men who's leading this is Gael. Gael says, hey man, you put me in charge, I take care of Abimelech. And he starts talking really big. Of course, Abimelech's not there. Well, would you know it, someone heard Gael talk about this. And they told Abimelech. So Abimelech comes running down, grabs an army, comes down the mountains. And the people look at it says, one of the watch guys is saying, look at all the people that's coming off the mountain. And the people said, oh, you're just dreaming. You're just, you're just imagining spirits coming down. He's like, no, there's people coming down. Well, sure enough, the valley begins to fill up with Abimelech's people. And the people went to Gael and said, hey, you said as soon as Abimelech shows up, you're going to go take care of him. Go go to it, man. So they kick him out the field. And so Gael gets kicked out of the city and he's supposed to fight Abimelech. And Abimelech wipes him out. And so they send some other troops out and Abimelech wipes out those troops. So now Abimelech says, all right. You guys wanted to rebel? I'll show you who's in charge. So he goes and he starts to destroy the city. And as he destroys the city, the Bible says he begins to salt it. Salt it is one of the most horrible things you can do to a city that is agriculture. Because if you put salt inside of the soil, plants will not grow anymore. Remember, this was the land of milk and honey. What kind of... Uh, terrain do we have there today it's desert it's changed from the land of milk and honey part of it is because punishment of God and things like this where Abimelech comes and he begins to salt it so that way this city will no longer be able to grow crops because of the salt uh, inside of the soil. It will suck up all the water, suck up all the nutrients, and the plants won't be able to grow. That's, that's just kind of like a mean, raising thing just to make sure the city never runs again. Then what he does... Uh, Let's pick it up in verse number 45, if you don't mind. Judges chapter 9, verse 45. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. And when the men of the tower of Shechem, so what's happening is that they're destroying the, the regular city. And the people are hiding inside of this tower of Shechem, this fortified fort. And there's, they're all hiding. They got a thousand people in there, men, women, and children. Please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. Uh, they can't do anything left. And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into a hold in the house of the god of Berith. So basically, they hide into a temple uh, near the tower in a stronghold part. And it was told to Abimelech that the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech got him to Mount Zalaman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow. Uh, from the tree, so basically he took a log and he took it and laid it on his shoulder and and said to the people that were with him, "What you've seen me do, make haste and do as I have done." And the people likewise cut down every man his bow or a big log and followed Abimelech and put them those logs on the hold and set the hold on fire upon them, so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also, about a thousand men and women. So Abimelech says, I'll show you guys. You think you're safe up there? He he and his men go cut down a forest. Put the logs on the tower. They burn it down and burn the people alive. Both men and women. This is not a good leader. A good ruler. He is destroying this city. By the way, that's what Jotham had just said was going to happen. Hey, you make this alliance. You feel like you've done right? Guess what? There's a payday someday. And now God is... Had it so Abimelech destroy Shechem. Now there's a few remnants of Shechem. And they're hiding in the next town over of Therese. Notice in verse 50. And then went Abimelech to the- Thebez, And encamped against Thebez, and took it. But there was a strong tower within the city. And thither fled all the men and women. And all they of the city and shut up to it. And got them to the top of the tower. So once again the people in the next town over. They're hiding in the tower. They're watching Abimelech come. And they already know that Abimelech's destroyed another town and another thing, killing both men and women and children, destroying them all. They know what's going to happen. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and went hard into the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So once again, he's going to do the same thing. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Now, it just so happens there was a girl on the top of it. She grabbed one of the stones, took a, um, took a perfect shot, and hit him in the head, and it cracked his skull open. He immediately knew what was going to happen. Oh, man. And it was some chicklet. It wasn't a warrior or something. It was some girl. Just threw the stone, hit his head, cracked it open. In verse 54, and he hastily, and then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, draw thy sword and slay me, that the men men say not of me. A woman slew him, and his young man thrust him through, and he died. So he says, hey, come here, you kill me, so that way it can't be said that a woman was the one that killed him. Too late, it's recorded in the Bible, we know that it was the woman who did it. This is also, by the way, if you like trivia, this is the first recorded suicide in the Bible. Um, I know it was suicide by another man, but he said, kill me. And he said, please kill me before everyone says that I was destroyed by a woman. I don't want my legacy to go down. that the mighty king of was killed by some small little girl. Well, that's what happened. And so he dies. Now we have the town of Shechem, which supported abimelech we have abimelech who's destroyed shechem who was supported by this this is a horrible three years and everyone dies the whole thing burns down now notice what god says in verse number 50 55 and when the men of israel saw that abimelech was dead they departed every man to his place thus god rendered the wickedness of abimelech which he did to his father in slaying his seventy brethren. And all the evil men of Shechem did God render upon their head, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. So here we have this vain, fleshly man who's run off of ambition. And God takes care of them. There is a payday someday. If you don't mind, let's see what the Bible says about this activity. And look with me, first of all, in the book of Romans in chapter number 8. Remember that God is a God that changes not. Someone may ask, why do we study the Old Testament? The Old Testament doesn't tell us how to live as a Christian or how to operate a church. Why do we study the Old Testament? Because what we do see is how God interacts with man. God is always consistent. And one thing God hates is God hates sin. And God hates when we operate by the flesh. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse number 4. It says, "...that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So that they that are in the flesh, notice this, can not please God. What do we see in Abimelech? We see a man who walks after the flesh. And the one thing about someone who walks in the flesh, he can not please God. He cannot When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have, what does that mean? That I recognize that I'm a sinner because of my sin. I've offended a holy, righteous God, but that Jesus loved me so much that He died for me. And I personally accept Jesus to be my Savior. When that happens, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And now you have two natures. You have the new man, the Holy Spirit, that wants to obey the Holy Spirit, that wants to obey God. Then you have the flesh, which wants to please itself. And by the way, they do not agree with each other. It is a constant tug of war. Every one of you have these two natures warring and flesh uh, fighting against each other. By the way... Whichever one wins is what you feed the most. That's why we say the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. If you are not consistently in the word of God, your flesh is going to continue to win. And notice what it said. Those that are in the flesh can not please God. You choose to walk after the spirit or you choose to walk after your flesh. And if you choose to walk after the flesh, you are against God. Notice verse verse number four. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. By the way, that is a choice. You choose to follow after God. It does not happen by accident. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Now, doesn't that make sense? Those that are after the flesh, they want more of the flesh. They want more of the flesh. You know what a cigarette is? It's flesh. People who crave the cigarette is people who are walking after the flesh. People who crave alcohol are walking after the flesh. Those that are watching pornography and other things, they're walking after the things of the flesh. You do things to feed this flesh. And when the flesh is more powerful, you crave more of that, not less. It's one of those things that can never be satisfied. You can never give your flesh enough flesh for it to finally say, I'm done. It's going to be something that craves more and craves more and craves more. But they, notice this, that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. When you choose to walk after God, you desire what God wants for you. And by the way... We are such at war that there are times within the same hour that we could say, I'm walking after God. Oops. Hey, this flesh wants something over here. This is a constant fight. It is something. Paul said, I die daily. I died to the self. No, no. You constantly have to do this. You go ahead and ignore and not pay attention and not consciously walk after God. You automatically start following after the flesh. Notice what it says here. Verse number six. For to be carnally minded or to be thinking of things other than God is death. Why? Those things... For the wages of sin is death. The flesh does not produce anything that is everlasting. The flesh does not produce anything that will live forever. The flesh only produces temporarily. It is something that is empty. Something that will run out. Something that will be gone. It is something that will last just for a moment. To be carnally minded is death. Someone may say... Uh, I love that bumper sticker, someone may say. I like that bumper sticker that says, The guy who dies with the most toys wins! Well, that's carnally minded. You can't bring it with you. You do not see a U-Haul attached to a hearse going to the grave. You cannot bring it with you. You can get all the toys, all the money you want, and it does you no good. You may try to, to save beauty products and say, I want to be, always look so beautiful. And you could be stretched and tucked and nipped and everything else until you're 100% plastic. And it does you no good. You could spend thousands of money on beauty and vanity. And it doesn't go with you. You can invest in this and invest in that. But if it is not after the Lord, it is goes to nothing. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded. Notice this. Is life and peace. You know there's something different. When you follow after the Lord. And you choose to follow him. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. There is life. And there is peace. You know there's many Christians. Who have legitimately accepted Jesus as their savior. Who do not have peace. You want to know Why? There's so much flesh. And may I say what the other word for flesh is? Pride. When there's flesh and pride. There is no peace. As long as your flesh wants to be in charge. As long as your flesh wants to do something its own way. There is no peace. The peace that passeth all understanding is when this dies. And you follow after Christ. There is a peace. Notice verse 7. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity or an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither can it be. Notice this. Your carnal mind can never follow after God. Never, ever, 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 ever. Now why am I making such a big deal of this? Because most of us walk in the flesh. We don't die to self. We don't purposely follow after Christ. And by the way, when it's all said and done and we stand before God and we look at our lives and say, where is everything? Where's my rewards? Where's all this other stuff? Because we did it in our own flesh. Because we did it out of our own pride. You know, you could even serve God out of your own flesh. Preacher, I want to sing a song. Why? Because I want everyone to see how great I sing. It's flesh. To do things to be seen is flesh. Anything that gets this thing to, to be noticed, to, to whatever else, we got to be careful of that. Our motives is just as important as our actions. We can do things for God in our own flesh, but they do not please God. Verse number 8, Then they that are in the flesh can not Please God. Christians can go to church. They can teach a class and they can do it in their flesh. Preachers can get up and preach a message in the flesh. Church members can sing songs in the flesh. The piano player can play the piano in the flesh. But it cannot please God. It cannot please God. When we look at Abimelech, we see a man who is all after the flesh. We see in the the parable he gave, it wanted people to go outside of uh, God's will to exalt himself. That was the brambles. He wanted to be exalted outside of God's will. Because of that, there was death. Everyone destroyed because people got out of... God's will. They wanted to do things in their own flesh. They wanted to say, look at me. I deserve this. By the way, whenever you get to the place where you say, I deserve this. That's flesh. Amen. I deserve to be treated better than this. That's flesh. I don't deserve to be talked to like this. That's flesh. I deserve to teach a class. That's flesh. Uh, what I'm trying to say is we got a lot of flesh. I'm trying to warn us because it's all over. What is the answer? I Die daily. Remember, you're in a tug of war. And whatever you feed the most. When it comes spiritual decision time. Is what's going to win. If you watch more TV than spend time in your Bible. When it comes spiritual decision time. That flesh is going to be stronger. It's going to be hard to make the spiritual decision. If you spend more time in prayer and Bible reading. It'll be easier to make the spiritual decision. When it comes time. Now I'm not against relaxation. I understand that. But we understand. We do a lot more things. Than what we do. With spend time with God. Let me ask you this. When's the last time. You personally. Spent 10 whole entire minutes. In prayer. I didn't say an hour. I said 10. Now, you may say, yeah, I do that all the time. No, 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 no. I'm not counting when you're driving and whistling and actually kind of halfway's paying attention to God. When's the last time you just said, nope, just me and God. And I, and I, this is outside of Bible reading. I meant just 10 minutes, just talking, just 10 minutes. I double dog dare you to try it tomorrow. Time 10 minutes and you'll see how long ten minutes can be if you're not used to it if we can't spend ten minutes in prayer really how much of the flesh is really in charge when you start looking at the spotlight of the holy spirit you realize you're not as spiritual as you think you are now i'm not trying to be mean. i'm trying to encourage you we have to expose what is wrong Because we want to be pleasing with God. And here it says. They that are in the flesh. Cannot please God. God hates this flesh. And we're at constant war. What is the answer? I die daily. And we have to change things in our own life. To starve The flesh. Not to feed it anymore. And you know what your hot button topics are. There are some people. Who cannot resist chocolate. I meant if chocolate cries. You die for it. You couldn't stop if you wanted to. You have to be careful. Now I'm not saying chocolate is bad. But you understand what I'm saying. When you got that craving. And you just can't say no. Some people it's fast food. I meant you get that craving. You just you can't be satisfied. Unless you get that fast food. You fill in the blank with whatever craving you have. We feed the flesh quite a bit. But we don't feed the spirit quite a bit. And when it comes time to making spiritual decisions. It will be hard to make the decision to follow after Christ. Because the flesh is stronger. And that spirit is weak. They... So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The answer is is that we need to put this to death. We have to starve it. If we're going to be pleasing to Him, we have to follow after Him and not after the flesh.